You're listening to a sermon from Covenant Church. So, hey, we're in a series. This is the last Sunday. and We've said this verse together every week. Now, when you say a verse together, it can become a rote thing, right? It doesn't have to be, though. My, when my uh, now 23-year-old son was about 16, 17, he said, hey, Dad, sometimes at church we'll say a prayer together, all together, or, you know, have some other part of the service where we say, do something we've done before, is that empty and rote? Is it empty? Isn't it kind of, isn't there a way to, we can kind of mentally phone that in? Uh, doesn't that become a rote thing? And I, I asked him, I, I said, yeah, that's possible. Not necessarily the case though. It can be a rote thing. It can be reinforcing a precious reality. What's your mom say to you every day as you walk out the door to go to school? I mean, li- literally every school day you've ever had. He was like, well, she says, I love you. What do you say back? I say back, I love you. I said, has that been a rote thing? Or has that been reinforcing a precious reality that shaped your life as you like go out into the world? And... Um, he gave me the look that teenage sons give you when as much as it pained him to admit it, at that moment, I might have a little bit of a point. Um, can we, so let's keep this from being a rote thing. Let's open up our hearts. And when we do these kind of things or say a prayer that's been prayed for hundreds and hundreds of years, or have some call and response of scripture. And when we do that, be asking God to get the word in your heart. Like receive it. Let's open up our mind and hearts and reinforce the precious reality that is God's word and his call and invitation to us. Let's say this verse together. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is the last week of the stewards series and to be a steward you just manage something that's been given to you so it is it's using something wisely and well that's been given to you and we've been thinking about jesus and his gospel how he calls us to be good stewards and that's all the gifts that god has put in our hands we also said our very hands themselves our very self this last week We're going to look at stewarding your presence. Stewarding your presence. Who do you spend time with? The call of the gospel is to be present with people because of how Jesus has been present with us. To be present with people in love because how Jesus has been present with us in love. Uh, There's all these one anothering commands in the New Testament, over 50 of them. Here's one of them, serve one another. There's things like encourage one another, pray for one another. The number one, the most repeated one is love one another as Jesus has loved us. And we can't do that unless we give the gift of our presence, okay? So five things, 
five things about stewarding your presence. The first is this, the encouragement of presence. The encouragement of presence. I'm going to read you a verse uh, about the Apostle Paul, but I just kind of want to set this up. This is at the end of the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul, he's a minister of Jesus. It was his gig to travel around and help start new churches. And his life has just been a beatdown, okay? So he was arrested. He's appeared before various officials. Uh, he's had, frankly, horrible experiences. All this rough travel that he's had to do, this shipwreck which last, lasted two, over two weeks. How does the shipwreck last over two weeks? Well, there's a storm they were just stuck in, and they just stayed in. It just carried them along. And after all that exhaustion, he's finally going to come to Rome where he's going to stand trial before Caesar for his life. That would make you nervous, right? Understatement of the year. And Paul's not like, hey, I, I trust in Jesus, so, you know, whatever, it just like rolls off. No, he feels it. He feels it. He feels the weight of this. God gives him this gift. Listen to, how does God give him the gift? Listen to Acts 28. And so we came to Rome for all that, the beat down of all that travel. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. Why does it mention that they came as far as the Forum of Appius? Why does it mention that particular place because it was far it's 40 miles away from Rome the three taverns is 12 miles further so they went okay this is not a car they went either by foot or you know with a horse probably by foot 40 miles just to welcome him in just to be with him Paul you're you're not alone what would he have thought he saw these people that he knew and he loved wouldn't he have thought, man, I'm not alone? And they gave him the gift and the encouragement of their presence. Um, the first sermon I ever preached at this church, I actually spoke about Romans 16. He would have written this to the church in Rome three years earlier. And it's a fascinating picture about the, the relationships in the churches, in the New Testament church. Uh, and what's striking about it, okay, he knows a ton of people who've wound up in Rome. And the book of Romans ends with all these shout-outs. He starts out, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria. Welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. Help her in whatever way she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. He's like, you ought to honor her. She's generous. And he gives all these shout-outs. He keeps on saying, beloved, beloved. Greet those workers in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. He calls out people by name. He says, Rufus, also his mom, who has been a mother to me as well. She, he received mom-like love from her. It was probably like in the form of a meal probably some hospitality. And he just honors these brothers and sisters. And he's going to be on trial for his life. But he's so touched. Look what you did. 
Look at the extent of that they're willing to sacrifice and travel to be with him and to encourage him. And he sees them. Doesn't, doesn't even say what they said. When he sees them, he thanks God. He thanks God and he takes courage. Who could you give the gift of your encouraging presence? Who could you step up to love, to go be with, to visit, that your presence would be a gift of encouragement? Let's keep on going. The encouragement of presence, the comfort of presence, okay? One more example, when the Apostle Paul is on the receiving end of the gift of somebody's presence. 2 Corinthians 7 and by the way, he opens this book, 2 Corinthians, by saying that there was a point in his life where he felt the sentence of death in his heart. It, it seems like he's saying, I, I wished for a death. Like the suffering that they were going was so hard, it would be easier to die. But God rescued him, and he says, that actually happened, so I'd not trust in myself, but on him who raises the dead. But he, he's honest about the hard times he's been, been through, Later in this same book, here we go, 2 Corinthians 7. Even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Titus was comforted by the Corinthians, encouraged by them, by their presence, and he passes that on to Paul. How did God comfort the downcast? The comfort of Titus showing up. Sometimes showing up is enough. Uh, Secret, not so secret. No one knows what to say at funerals. And sometimes as Americans, we're, we're so uncomfortable about death, we avoid instinctually those conversations. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say rejoice with those who rejoice, have answers for those who weep. Explain why it happened for those who weep. It says weep with those who weep. And you know what? A lot of times the best thing to do is just go to the funeral and just say, I'm really sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry. Know what else is good to do? Uh, if, you're, if you're close, check in in a week, a month, three months, a year. Uh, my, my phone actually ha has some unique anniversaries. It's anniversaries of significant deaths. So I know to pray for someone who lost their dad, who buried their mom uh, in their early, when they were in their early 20s. And just sometimes it's, it's just a text. Sometimes it's a call. But it can be as simple as a text. Hey, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. As you remember Sometimes your presence is, uh, is the comfort 
that is required. It, it brings comfort. Just your presence is enough. Uh, let me speak frankly and directly to men for a second. Can we just talk about as me, how as men we need friends? So I'm talking about grieving. Now I'm changing subject. Segways are hard. Here we go. I just did it. See, that's how it works. I'm good. Uh, men, you need friends. So the gift of your presence, other people's presence, can bring encouragement and comfort. And in a busy culture and with distorted views of what masculinity actually looks like, especially men, everybody, but I think especially men, can forget the need for deep and true friends. Um, I have this great history book. It's called The Overflowing of Friendship, Male Friendship and the Beginning of the American Revolution. So it's written by a historian in Miami. His name's Richard Godbeer. And he traces what, he basically documents what friendship was like in the birth of our country. And he's like, you're gonna, I'm gonna read you how men thought of friendship. And it actually, when it came time to stack hands and rebel against the king and like, hey, are we gonna risk our lives and actually not uh, suffer tyranny? Are we gonna fight a war together? There was deep bonds. And his argument is actually like the deep friendships and the commitment to friendship actually helped our, amongst men and the culture of friendship which have for a long time had been shaped by the gospel in the church, actually. And he has a, uh, I don't think he's a Christian, but he has a whole chapter about the Christian contribution to the understanding of friendship. And he just documents stuff that's really striking. Stuff like college-age guys who are deep and dear friends writing each other poems about their friendship, like college guys do. You're like, you can't believe it. Men writing each other letters. My dear one, my deep beloved friend, to see your face would bring such joy in my heart. The reunion we had, uh, these two young Methodist preachers, they talked about friendship is the best blessing we know of all the joys God gives us on earth, of all the joys of food and drink and be the beauties of nature, friendship is the best gift. And they, they write each other letters, and he, he even says, look, you're gonna think all these letters, you're gonna think there's some kind of erotic undertone, and it's actually just, that's imposing our culture and this cultural moment back onto this. This was normal. The phrase band of brothers does not come from a Showtime series. It actually comes from the language that Washington and his junior aides used each other. George Washington and the junior aides, they're like, we're a crew, we roll together, we're a band of brothers. And when one of them was wounded, they would write letters back and forth, we miss you, we miss dear one, we miss your fellowship, and they couldn't wait to be together again. We need friends. We're called, uh, actually in Jesus, Jesus has called us not just servants, right, but friends, and we're called to be friends to each other. This brings the encouragement of presence, the comfort of presence. Uh, to live this out, okay, there is a cost to it. 
we need to know what the cost is. So the third point is about the sacrifice of presence. The sacrifice of presence. To be present with someone, to actually focus on them, we've got to say no to ourselves so we can say yes to Jesus. We've got to say no to ourselves in some ways. Uh, take a risk, take a step, step out in faith and sacrifice. And it can be dramatic or non-dramatic. I'm going to talk about the dramatic and the non-dramatic ways. Uh, but it's asking, what does Jesus want? And then sacrificing for that. One more uh, Pauline, one more example from Paul, okay? So bring up this verse from Philippians 2. Paul's in prison, and the church in uh, Philippi sends this messenger with some money to buy Paul food. Prison is BYOB in the ancient world. So Paul won't have stuff to eat unless some people who love him sacrifice to make that happen. And this guy risks a harrowing journey, this tough journey. He gets there. He gets really sick. He almost dies, but he doesn't die. Paul's going to send him back. Listen to him talk about it. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger, minister to my need. Think how much he's honoring Epaphroditus. He gives him five titles. My brother, first. My fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to me, your gift to me. Think of the love flowing through him as he writes this. For he has been longing for you all, has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He's not freaked out that he's ill because he's over it now. He's freaked out, oh, they're, they're probably worried about me so much. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy upon him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me." He's like, can we just honor that guy? Man, he risked his life to help me out as your messenger. And he, Paul is being non-selfish. Epaphroditus could have stayed there, helped Paul, been with Paul, who would have been lonely. And Paul's like, I'm sending Epaphroditus. In the context, when you read the rest of the letter, he's sending Timothy too, and he hopes to be released and give the gift of his presence Epaphroditus sacrificed, he's sacrificing too. Uh, sometimes, okay, let's think about Thanksgiving for a second. Sacrifice can be dramatic or it can be non-dramatic. Here's non-dramatic but sacrificial love at Thanksgiving. Maybe you don't like football. You're vaguely aware of some grown men running around on a green field. You don't understand third down. You don't care. But maybe for some of us, it would be loving to sacrifice to go sit with Uncle Bob in the TV den who has the game on and just be with him, be with a couple family members who are tuning into something they love. For the football fans, it could be really godly and faithful to say, hey, we're going to turn, I'm going to turn the game off now for a while. TiVos exist, and I'm going to go be with family and friends. Sacrifice what you would want, what you would naturally do, 
in order to love others. Uh, and sacrifices can be dramatic and deeply moving. And this kind of, kind of all ties together. Like Paul's moved by people's sacrifice. I, at some point in the next year, I want to introduce you to my friend Josh Curry. Uh, he leads a communion of churches as I, along with others, lead a network of churches, the Liberty Churches. And we became to be friends and we helped each other out and one of the turning points in our friendship, this guy is now one of my best friends on earth. And I, by God's grace, I have new friends here with the elders and the pastors and the leaders here. I'm really enjoying that, by the way. And we want deep friendships here. And we also want to have deep relationships with those outside of our church. And this guy, this changed my life. He said to me one time, and to me it was like out of the blue, Steve, I, I love you, and I value our friendship. I just want you to know that if you needed me, you could call me in the middle of the night. I would fly to the Philadelphia region. I will drop everything in the world to be with you, serve you. If there was some emergency going down, we would arrange everything to love you and serve you and walk with you. I just want you to know that's real. And I was so moved by it, I cried. I like teared up. And I said, I would do that for you too. Uh, I didn't know uh, one, one of my children has walked through an addiction and it's like the hardest thing I've ever been through. She's doing well now by God's grace and is a couple years sober. Uh, but it's the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And there was one particular hard stretch that was like so crushing and so disappointing. This friend rearranged his life just to be with me. And he and his wife be with, uh, for us to be with each other, the four of us. You know what that meant? And because I had said, by God's grace, the same thing to him, um, they had a sudden death in their church, this guy who was doing so well. And we do need to pray for the recovery community. We need to pray for the recovery community because when people relapse, it is so heartbreaking and crushing. And so, you know, so many people pour in time and love and you love this person and what's going to happen to them and where are they? It can be all different levels. And a uh, someone that their whole church loved relapsed and accidentally killed himself the day after Thanksgiving. It's probably about seven years ago now. And Josh was just sharing it with me on Black Friday, the day that it happened. Hey, this has happened. Pray for me. I got to write a sermon. I got to we're trying to figure out how to care for this family. And we're just all overwhelmed we're just crushed. And I asked, I said, would you let me, can I fly? I'll, we'll figure it out on my end. Someone will preach for me. Could I just come preach for you? Would you allow me to do that for you? And he let me do that. And it ended up being so beautiful for the church because like he stood up and said, hey, I have friends here by God's grace, but not only do we get Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we get each other. And a friend of our church, Steve Huber's here because of what's happened. And people were like, relieved, like, our pastor has friends. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> you know? Pastor Steve's friends. Yeah. 
It's a beatdown. Amen? Um, it's great and it's glorious. I won't do anything else with my life. But uh, we need friends. And that, there's some other pastors in this little group that we have, kind of like, hey, let's walk with each other. How about this? This is a crazy thing to say in this day and old together. Let's go to old together. Can we commit to like be with each other for the long haul? Um, sacrifice is moving. Sacrifice is moving. I don't, I don't know where I'd be without these friends. I, I hope you have these friends. I hope you pursue that kind of uh, friendship. There's risk in that. There's taking some steps. When we talk about community, remember this line? When we talk about community, it's like being at the junior high dance. Everyone wants to be out on the floor, and everyone's hugging the walls. And it take, you have to take steps, right? You have to take steps. But the sacrifice of presence is a gift. Giving the gift of yourself, saying, saying no to yourself, an act of work, an act of overcoming fear, to be present with someone else because Jesus has been present with us. The sacrifice of presence. Fourth, okay, here's another requirement, and this is more of an inner thing. The fourth thing we need, the humility of presence. The humility of presence. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This is just instruction. Hey, don't think you're too important for people. Who do you think you're too important for? It's true we can't spend, we can't spend all our time with everybody. We have to make some decisions, right? But one of the filters isn't who are the important people. Who are the people that are whatever your version of cool is. And this is just a scriptural instruction and command. Hey, don't be full of yourself. Don't break your arm to pat yourself on the back. Hey, be humble. You know who uh, you're too important to talk to? No one. Let me answer that question for you. No one. And the Jesus uh, basis of this, look, man, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus brought himself low to talk to us. We're at the wrong lunch table, okay? And Jesus came to us, and that's the gospel. And remembering that, it, when that gets in your soul, you're just, it crushes any kind of bogus, dumb self-importance, and you're just more humble. The humility of Jesus gives us the humility to be present with each other. So some practical tips. I just want to do a couple practical tips. I can't, don't have time to preach on this, but I just want to mention a couple things. Um, we're really busy as a culture. Do you feel busy? I feel busy. We run around. We've got emails, smartphones. We carry around computers because we're important and we're doing stuff, right? And in this cultural moment, um, busyness we can equate that with importance. 
And actually, we're going to talk about this more in 2023. It's going to be one of our new discipleship initiatives as an act of faith, as a spiritual discipline, we're actually instructed to practice Sabbath. We're told to not be get as much done as we could do as a spiritual discipline. We're told to honor Jesus, to remember we're not slaves but sons and daughters, and rest. We're called actually to have some margin. And when you do that, you're more rested and it's, it's healthier and it's better. And all of those side effects are true. But actually, let's just do it to honor the Lord and trust him, take him at his word. And guess what? Uh, you have some margin to like love some people with. You have some time. Um, another practical tip. In a distracted world, let's give the gift of focus. I have a friend who plays this game. You're out to eat with him. He's like, cell phone's in. Cell phone's in the middle. Whoever grabs their cell phone first pays. <laughs> and then someone's like, how far is Mad- Madagascar? And it, it'll happen like four or five times. We just instinctively reach for that. Uh, and there's actually dopamine. There's actually, the people who have designed smartphones and social media apps know brain chemistry. And it's fascinating that social media, the owners of social media countries, I mean, companies, countries, they are kind of like countries. The owners of social media companies keep them out of the hands of their children because they've seen like actually what they're designed to do. What would it look like to fight to have meals with people where there's like, hey, we're just not going to do cell phones right now. To do that as a family. Hey, we're going to turn the TV off. There's no cell phones in the corner. Let's just talk. Uh, Seven out of ten parents in this one study admitted that sometimes they're distracted by their smartphones when they're with their children. What would it look like to to be a community where we help each other fight for that? Let's fight to be with our kids. We're like, our kids want to talk. We're willing to put it down. We're, we're going to be people who are fully present when we're present. Um, think about, make, I would invite you to make a game plan for this Thanksgiving. To like, what would it look like to be sacrificial with your time and fully present with friends and family, whoever God has you be with this Thursday? What would it look like? What would you need to do a little bit differently? How would you need to pray into that? Where do we get the power for all this? Okay, those are some practical tips. Where do we get the power? I just want to end with this. Okay, the promise of presence. The promise of presence, number five. Next week, we're going to um, begin to think about Christmas. CVS is already thinking about Christmas. We're going to begin to start thinking about Christmas next week. Actually, Christians, there's an approach to Christmas. It's called Advent. It just is the word for coming. We're going to be beginning to think about Jesus' presence, him coming into history. And in the Gospel of Matthew, the first account of Jesus' life, the title for Jesus in the first chapter, first chapter, the first book about his life is Emmanuel. You know what that means? God with us. God is with us. The whole thing about Christmas is Jesus is present with us. 
And the Gospel of Matthew recounts all the work of Jesus and the mission of Jesus and who he was present with and who he surprisingly hung out with. And you know what his last words are in that Gospel? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the last chapter of Matthew. He's Emmanuel in chapter 1, and his last words at the end, the resurrected Jesus utters, I am with you always. Jesus has promised to be present with us. So let's just, let's just think this through. Is Jesus present with us? Yes. Is this an encouragement to us? Yes, it is. He's promised to never leave us. Is Jesus' presence a comfort? He's promised that not cancer, not a breakup, uh, not a divorce, not a job loss, the worst, pick really dark scenarios. Nothing can separate us from his presence and his love for us. We're invited to live in that comfort. His presence is an encouragement. It's a comfort. Did Jesus sacrifice to be with us? He sure did. He entered this world. He sacrificed himself on the cross. Did Jesus humble himself to be with us? He sure did. Uh, Jesus emptied himself of, he put his, div, his divine power on pause to humble himself and live as a human being, subject to tiredness, weakness, hunger, tears, even death. He humbled himself to be with us. And he overcame, and his promises to remain with us. He's here. And you know this? I, okay, Jesus promises to be with us. That's his promise. I also want to point this out. He promises to be present as we are present with others. Like when we pray, when you, like, when you pray, hey, I'm going to try to love this person right now, Jesus, for your sake and with your love, Jesus is with you. When we go out these doors in this region this week, we don't go alone. We go with Jesus. Amen? And uh, we, had a bap we had some baptism at the nine. Sorry you missed that. But now we get to do this other epic thing, the meal that Jesus gave us. Jesus started a meal where we actually tangibly get to receive him present with us in a unique way. Is Jesus present in the Lord's Supper? in the broken bread for us and in the cup for us in a unique way? Is he present with us by his Holy Spirit in a way that is special? The answer is yes. Uh, so allow me to pray for us and let's go receive the Lord's, Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you for your promise to us that you are present with us. That's the gospel. That's the good news about you what you did, the comfort, the encouragement of that. We pray you would so work in us, you would work in us so much that we would be more present with other people. For your sake, with your love. Uh, we pray that all this bread and this cup would be received with faith today. We set it apart from its normal use. We ask you to be present by your Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or in person on Sundays at 9 and 1045 a.m. Hope to see you there.